Hi, everybody. Welcome to the November 12, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get to it. COVID rates continue to rise in Colorado, and we're one of the hot spots in the nation with the fifth highest number of COVID cases in the country. Governor Polis announced uh, this week that a plan is being implemented that includes expanding hospital capacity to five by 500 beds, bringing nurses out of retirement and expanding the use of antibody treatments. Penny Calhoun, we start from you as always. It seems that uh, mask mandates, at least from the, the governor's point of view, a statewide mask mandate is still remains off the table. But now we're getting to more hospital policies. Do you think this is the right way to go? Uh, are we hearing the right things from Governor Polis so far? Well, first, let's say we are not hearing what Governor Polis is saying <laughs> at noon today, which is right as we tape this. So we have no idea of what we're going to say is remotely on the planet, but I'll, I'll try anyway. <laughs> Colorado is sadly not the only state that is doing badly right now. As I got out of my car, I was hearing 35 states are on the rise now with COVID, but there's no question Colorado's third or fifth in the worst per capita counts now. The problem isn't just the shortage of hospital beds, because we're down to, I think, 77 IC units now, right now. It's also staffing, which is one of the things that is really putting the lid on how many beds we can have. So that's one of the reasons Polis is really emphasizing staffing, getting people in so that there is more accommodation for those who are sick. He, of course, is also continuing to push vaccines. He said anyone over 19, 19 and up can get their boosters. He is letting the counties, though, continue to take the lead on do they want to put on stricter mask mandates. Boulder County, for example, has them for indoor, any indoor activities. Denver doesn't. It could still. But he's also working with the um, large venues to figure out what the rules are going to be for activities. You already have most concerts requiring proof of vaccinate, you know, proof of negative tests, but still using um, vaccinations and mask rules. So we're going to see things come up as the holidays. We've got 50 days till the new year. We're going to see definite more restrictions that businesses are going to put in to keep their people safe. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. It's not as if there was a pandemic manual to follow, but 2020 gave us a lot of, here's some samples of what did work, what didn't work, and now we're seeing Polis, I think, leading quite differently than he did early in the pandemic. It seems he's really pushing local control, talking more about hospitals. Is his focus, from what we've seen so far, and again, it could have changed at 1230 today, but from what we've known to this point, do you think it's in the right direction? Uh, well, I'd say overall, and as you point out, there there was no manual, and people, I think, had justifiable concerns about Donald Trump and, and his management of it, and are also have some similar concerns about Joe Biden, because deep down, they're both not very smart at all, and not very interested in facts, uh, beyond a very superficial level of a one or two that might glom onto, whereas... Jared Polis is not only very smart, uh, he's very intellectually diligent about learning things. Uh, but that said, you know, the, the variety of things that, that have been tried and only partially worked uh, it, it is large. I mean, Vermont's one of the most highly vaccinated, I think is the most highly vaccinated state, and they're having a surge of cases. What we can say is that in terms of the hospital shortage, um, Here's something I, I found out on Twitter uh, from a guy called Mr. T2, like the uh, TV character, and then the uh, Arabic numeral 2 after that, which is not covered anywhere else in the Colorado media. On the day that 
the polis vaccine mandate went into effect at hospitals, we lost 300 acute care beds and that that's never been recovered. And the same thing, on, similar on, on ICU, we lost about 25 on that day and then about uh, 15 more thereafter. You can find this actually on the Colorado Department of Health's website, but you have to open up this particular spreadsheet. And the data is very deep in there. The uh, one, one item is in row 14,945 and the other is in row 16,854. And Mr. T went, th- went through all these things and found them. And I think Polis is now, according to Axios, is thinking about changing his vaccine mandate to say for healthcare facilities to be only 90%. In, in my view, I'm very pro-vaccine, but it should be up to the individual and the employer and not a one-size-fits-all uh, top-down program that, that's now backfired in terms of hospital capacity. Penfield Tate, uh, attorney with Tate Law, but also a former state lawmaker. Tate, uh, Penn, you have seen... Uh, all the different kinds of options that gov- government officials at the state level have. And I know things have changed from when, when you were a state lawmaker, but as you've seen the options at Governor Polis's uh, disposal, do you think he's approaching it the right way? You know, I, th- I think this governor has done well in, in terms of his approach to dealing with the pandemic. Um, but the surge in Colorado um, reflects the, the, the core problem, not just in Colorado, but in our country. And it, it, it's, it's a value statement and it's an expression of values that in my opinion rolls back to the 80s where people were told basically take care of yourself and forget about the rest of society if you're happy if you're better off than you were to heck with everybody else and and the problem it's now created is from my perspective this the situation where what I saw some data this week that said in Colorado, um, our surge is in part a function of four counties where the vaccination rate is less than 40 percent. And basically it's causing a ripple effect and creating these breakthrough cases throughout the state. The problem is, is if we don't respect one another enough, forget if you don't care about your own health, but if we don't respect one another enough to do what it takes to keep our neighbors and our neighbors' kids safe, God help us all. We know that vaccines work. We know that masks work. And government shouldn't have to mandate any of these things. If you just care about your own health, safety, and welfare and that of the community around you, those are the things you ought to be doing. And no governor or president can mandate that you do those things. Part of it is just common sense and concern. Making her premiere at the Colorado Inside Out table, Trish Zornio, a columnist with the Colorado Sun and Colorado Newsline. Trish, it's great to have you here. Uh, as you're seeing the different policies coming from Governor Polis and the options he might or may not have available, uh, what are you thinking from what we know today, again, taping the 1215, not after his press conference? Sure. And, and let's just cut to the chase here. I think what we're looking at is a very different response to a very similar wave from 2020. And I know that the argument from our governor has been uh, related to the idea that, uh, well, it's, it's the pandemic of the unvaccinated. And while that in the hospitals might actually uh, really reflect the truth, right, about 80 percent or so of, of those who are ending up in the hospital are unvaccinated. Uh, but what we're seeing is that a lot of vaccinated uh, people are actually being impacted by these decisions. So whether it's uh, Walmarts in Montrose, uh, rather in Mesa County that are, are closing, or whether it's, uh, you know, businesses being affected or schools or, or whatever it might be, uh, you know, those are impacting families who, who took the right steps to get vaccinated. 
And I think some of this really boils down to the fact that we did not see the governor take uh, the actions that were necessary starting back in July when he dismantled some of the, the pandemic structuring that we had in place. And you can see cases pretty consistently rise since then. And I think uh, it's, it's really quite tragic, actually, that we're not seeing some of these implemented. When you think about mandates, uh, pushing back a little bit on, on uh, what we just heard, Mandates serve more than just uh, a straight-up mandate. They serve as a public communication tool. So what I'm hearing from a lot of folks is that they are not actually aware that it's as bad as it was, and, and they would have appreciated a mandate early on to be able to reflect that. Congress approved a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill last week. Of the approved total, Colorado is projected to receive $3.7 billion, that's with a B, in federal highway funds and $225 million toward bridge repairs. While the vote to pass the bill was bipartisan at the national level, there appears to be a party divide, and unsurprisingly, locally among the Colorado delegation. Uh, David, you know, theoretically, these funds will benefit all Coloradans. Clearly, we have a metro area that's going to see more. It's just how it, it it goes. But people in rural areas, including in Congressional District 4 and District 3 and District 5, should theoretically see some benefit from this. Do you think there will be a disconnect between the representation voting against it, but then some benefit coming to those constituents? Um, no. Uh, the, there are 212 Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives. Thirteen of them voted uh, to pass the bill, ref- presumably reflecting what their districts wanted. Uh, Essentially, none of, not one of them from the Mountain West or even further west all the way out to the Pacific Ocean. The closest representative who voted for Republican uh, was Don Bacon, a uh, good, good name on this bill, uh, who represents Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Don Young of, of Alaska voted for it, and then the other 11 are, are uh, f- further east. It's going to add $250 billion to the deficit. It's just spending money that we don't have, and that is going to cause inflation, and it's going to add to the looming financial catastrophe of the debt buildup that uh, started under George W. Bush and has gotten worse and worse and worse every presidency since then. Of the money that supposedly goes for, for transportation, half of it goes to Amtrak or urban mass transit, which between the two of them, carry fewer than 1% of passenger trips and and carry zero freight. And on top of that, the new infrastructure bill is now everybody is going to be treated like you're a repeat offender convicted drunk driver. Because starting in 2026, they're going to put on these breathalyzer interlock systems mandatory on every new car. So you won't be able to start your car until you pass the, the blow test. Uh, which is something that's, that's appropriate for somebody who's a repeat drunk driver. Uh, but as the uh, our carceral state uh, advances, uh, now your your car uh, can be a little bring you a little bit of a feel of prison uh, uh, when you're commuting. Uh, Penn, uh, uh, breathalyzer notwithstanding, as you're looking at something as massive as an infrastructure bill, and this is this is big. This is, we're talking trillions of dollars, billions for Colorado. Um, this is also going to have an impact uh, politically. We have a 2022 election, not only with these incumbents who voted on this, but uh, a CD8 race of what would you have done, and then also possibly some of these effects coming to Colorado. How do you think it's going to play out? You know, I think it's going to play out where people who supported the, the, the legislation are probably going to get rewarded by, by voters. I, I think the infrastructure bill was wildly popular. I think it's popular sort of rolling back to what I was talking about before. 
since at least the 1980s, we quit investing in our society and the world around us. Um, during my time in the legislature, I can't tell you how many times we had arguments about we need to fix roads, we need to fix bridges, and then we'd never come up with the money to do it. So if the feds are going to do it and allow then the state to use some of that money, even if it's in the metro area, it's going to free up CDOT to use some of its resources to now deploy it into more rural and mountain areas of the state. So actually the, the rising tide is is going to lift all boats in Colorado because of how we approach this. But it's some, you know, you can't complain about the roads and bridges and the schools and everything else and then always vote to decrease taxes. And it, it, There's no magic uh, to this. If you want services, you have to pay for them. And if you believe that government ought to collectively provide some things that we can't provide for ourselves, you have to pay for it. Trish, do you think the average Coloradan, and it's hard to define that, you know, the average Coloradans are in all different kinds of part of the state, but do you think the average Coloradan will see an impact from this bill? I think they will. Uh, I think if you look even just what's happened in, uh, during the summer when we had the mudslides in Glenwood Canyon and, and we're seeing the changes uh, from everything from wildfires and, and other types of effects from climate change, I think especially when you think about how that will compound the infrastructure uh, issues that we have here in Colorado, Coloradans by and large supported this, and, and, and in D.C. we saw that. And I think we're going to reap the rewards for that. And I think anyone who's looking to go to Washington should be very thankful for that. But I would add that actually uh, this was on the low end of what I would have wanted to see, and I would have loved to see actually a little bit more. Patty, what do you think? Will we start seeing some changes courtesy of, like we saw, like I think, what was it, the, you know, thanks to your faster uh, funds, now this is happening. Are we going to see those signs from the infrastructure bill? Well, we'll see full employment for journalists following up to see just where this money is going. I mean, that's the problem. The money's coming here, but then will it be used wisely? Will it be used well? I actually think most of the federal funds that have come to Colorado during the pandemic, the state has been very careful to make sure it's dividing it up geographically. And I think that'll continue with this road work. As Penn said, if there's going to, if some is already earmarked for Metro, People in the legislature and at the Colorado Department of Transportation are really thinking about rural people, too. It's not like we're not on those roads. So I think assuming the projects are all done competently, and that's another issue, it's going to be a boon for all of Colorado when it works. And some of the other funds coming, broadband, I mean, we've certainly learned how important it was to have good broadband, especially for people in remote areas who can't get into the city, who can't go to schools. And we're going to see a lot more people working um, working at home, I think, in the winter months. And again, students back in at home, at, um, at home learning. So let's hope the money's spent wisely, but right now it looks good. Six DPS schools are resorting to remote learning and canceled classes due to critical staffing shortages. Shortages. The exact reason for the shortages occurring, both locally and nationally, are heavily debated. Many schools are citing various illnesses combined with an ongoing lack of substitute teachers. And yesterday, it was announced that DPS will also be starting Thanksgiving break a day early. Penn, we shouldn't be terribly surprised only because staffing challenges are hitting all industries, from truck drivers to people at restaurants to really any industry you can really possibly think of. But this impacts more people because when your kids are off on a break, they're pretty happy about that. But now parent is taking care of child care. And so the ripple effects probably a little bit more in this industry. 
how do you think it's being handled locally so far? You know, I, I think the school districts are in a tough bind, and, and we've talked about this before. It's unfortunate the, the school board elections were the primary driver of this last election cycle, and turnout was abysmally low, and it's probably one of the most important things we ought to pay attention to. We've been losing teachers in this state for years. Um, part of it is low pay. Part of it is extensive hours. You know, when you talk to teachers and hear how they come out of their own pockets to equip and supply their classrooms and their students, something's wrong with this picture. So you drop on top of that the fact that we have a pandemic and we have parents going to school boards saying, you can't make my kids wear masks, and you've got teachers saying, why should I run the risk of getting infected and then taking the pandemic home with me to my family? Um, And you have parents who are more concerned about whether they have a a child care option through a school rather than whether their kids are receiving a quality education. Because I hear too many people talk about, gee whiz, this is unfair. What am I going to do with my kids? Well, that's not the primary purpose of school. School is to educate and inform. The the schools are all in a tough bind. They're doing the best they can. um, And I don't know what the solution is. You can't just magically snap your fingers and have more teachers. And quite frankly, many districts are what I feel improperly promoting paraprofessionals to be the classroom teachers now because they have no other options. I don't know what the solution is to this one. Trish, we might have current situations impacting this, but this isn't a brand new issue and education has faced challenges before. What do you think about what we're seeing? Yeah, I think, you know, pandemics, obviously, it's not going to be easy, but it's really exacerbating the existing underlying conditions here. And so particularly here in Colorado, we have a quite long history now, thanks to Tabor, uh, that we have chronically underfunded not only our K through 12 schools, but actually also higher ed. And, and as someone who up until this semester, uh, you know, has been teaching in, in there, I, I've felt the difference between the pandemic, uh, you know, just really exacerbating all the stresses from low pay, uh, not enough mental health services for, for students. And, and the struggles that we're facing in this pandemic is just blowing all of that up. And I, and I really empathize with so many of these teachers that are going through that. Uh, but it really is just based on these chronic and existing uh, issues that I, I think we face. And it's, it's partly a women's issue as well, because, you know, a lot of women do teach. And uh, as they tend to have more primary roles at home, uh, if kids are getting sick, if, if something's happening with their kids, they're also facing that. So I think there are just a lot of things rolling in. The pandemic is just really biting into it a little harder. Patty, is Westford about to have a lot more uh, take your son or daughter to work days? Uh, probably. We have dogs already. I don't see any reason we can't have the kids. They'll be better behaved. Uh, we did a story this morning, and one of the issues is the pay. Is cl- You can mer- earn more per hour at In-N-Out Burger working there than you can as a substitute teacher. That's really bad. And you probably get to take home some burgers, too. So money is clearly an issue, but it's also who people have to take care of their homes, too. And we're going to find a ripple effect as teachers, as kids are going back home, unless they're coming to my office and everyone's welcome to bring them in. They'll learn a lot of new words. Um, as as kids are going back home and learning online again, then you're going to have parents who have to stay home, too, to take care of the kids, even though I know school is not just to babysit. But it is going to be a really, really tough winter for so many people. But first of all, we've got to pay people more in the schools. David, are are enough creative options being considered with uh, addressing this challenge? No, of course not, because the the Denver... Now, the Denver School Board is run by the union, uh, 7-0, and the union's view is you keep kids trapped in their 
school that they run, and you want to do everything possible uh, to prevent options of like charter schools or public, which are public schools or other independent schools. And it's notable these same schools, which typically pay less uh, than your standard. Uh, public schools uh, are not having these kinds of problems. It is true there's been a, and, and the, this day off thing was promoted by the U.S. Department of Education uh, nationwide, so it, it's, it's not just a Colorado issue. But clearly there's been a permanent drop in labor force participation uh, as a result of, of the pandemic, and that hits people, then the people who have chosen to drop out the most were the ones who had the marginal attachment to the labor force in the first place, such as substitute teachers. Let me get a quick take on this last one. A Colorado Court of Appeals ruling this week is ordering the revisitation of a lawsuit claiming the passage of the red flag law was unconstitutional. According to the original suit, two representatives were denied the request to read the bill in its entirety. Uh, Trish, your quick take on uh, this coming back into the news after being dismissed earlier. I think what's really important to focus on here is that the public, by and large, supports red flag laws. Uh, ERPA laws, according to some polls, have as much as 80% uh, support in the public, and, and we see this with universal background checks and all sorts of things. These are fringe groups that are continuing to try to find any loophole available to them, uh, and I, I think it's really unfortunate that they're looking to subvert the will of the public by, by these kinds of tactics. Uh, Patty, is this going to set up some new issues for the next session? Well, I think we can safely say we'll see the legislature take on this issue about do you have to have your bill, the bill read in its entirety. I think it's a great idea for legislators to actually read the bills, but probably a little earlier is a better idea. Penn can address that, but the red flag aside, it's just they did find a loophole, and the loophole does exist. David, one of our two esteemed lawyers, your point. The, the so-called loophole is the Constitution of the state of Colorado, which says that bills on their second and third reading, that's what they're called, in the House and in the Senate must be read at length. And the only way you get out of that is by unanimous consent. When this bill was going through the House, two representatives asked for the bill to be read as the Constitution clearly requires. The Speaker of the House, with no legal justification, refused to do so. The Colorado Supreme Court involving a similar issue on a, on a different bill has already ruled that the Constitution means what it says and you have to do it and so the proponents of the bill have no one but themselves to blame for their flagrant disregard of the plain text of the Constitution. Penn, wrap it up for us. You've been there, former state lawmaker. Ridiculous. Um, what the Constitution says is one thing. What has happened historically in practice in the legislature is, number one, it's expected that as a legislator, if you're going to vote on a bill, maybe you ought to read it first and read the amendments and reports. Number two, it's very rare that a bill is read at length, and typically the only time a bill is read at length is because the opponents of the bill want to frustrate the will of the majority of the body and want to slow the process down and want to try to defeat a bill procedurally because they can't do it substantively. And frankly, the third reason is sometimes people just want to be annoying and inconvenient, so they ask that the bill be read at length. should be entertaining to watch how it turns out. Let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. I'm going to go to the Littleton City Council, which booted one of its constituents off a committee for the next generation. They say because she broke rules of decorum. She says it's because she objected to their inability to adopt a land acknowledgement policy. But the fact remains, if you have a next generation committee, you'd better expect them to defy authority. <laughs> David. 
the communist tyrant of Nicaragua, uh, Daniel Ortega, just staged another phony re-election uh, purporting to return him to power. Uh, what you see throughout the world is once you let a communist in, uh, their jackboot will never come off your face. Penn. Uh, we are a trashy society. D Denver reported that we have 5% more trash per person now than we did in 2019, so much so that we're going to lose trash surface one day a week and routes are going to be compressed. We need to do more recycling and composting. Trish. Video surfaced. Uh, I, I saw it just last night, and uh, Rep. Lauren Boebert, unfortunately, uh, was disgracing veterans in, in this video, and I think particularly on Veterans Week, uh, that, was, that was quite disgraceful. Uh, specifically, she was talking about her service being akin to their service and that it is not her job to keep them safe. Rather, uh, if it were, she would get them a gym membership. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? I'm sorry I missed that one. But I'm going to jump just a few blocks down the street to Brother Jeff, who has a studio here, does a Facebook Live. He speaks truth to power all the time. He's win winning an award tonight from One Colorado, and he's just a real asset to this community. He's been at this table before, too. Yes, he has. David? I'd like to thank the, the many people who, who made this program possible, which is our veterans. Uh, without them... We would be in the same situation as the people of Nicaragua and China and Russia are today with no freedom of speech, no freedom of the press. Here, here. Penn. Those are both good, but I'll just simply give kudos to the U.S. and China for finally getting together and making some progress in terms of dealing with um, climate change and reducing emissions. I join that sentiment. Uh, my own rep, Jonah Goose, is, is uh, just coming back, and I think it's wonderful to see so many uh, Coloradans representing us. And also, I have to, uh, my dad's 70th birthday is coming up. Thank you so much. Happy birthday, Dad. <laughs> it's uh, a very welcome table to birthday greens. You've seen that. Through, uh, I've taken advantage of that many, many times myself. I will add to the say something nice. A, a couple of them. I want to uh, echo the many sentiments about Veterans Day. We talked a little bit about last week. just want to hit it again. Uh, it is uh, wonderful that we can celebrate as a country, um, but uh, remembering what that means and all the different veterans in our lives. Uh, I'm grateful to have multiple generations in my family that, are, that serve this country in different ways. And uh, my father as a Vietnam veteran, uh, making sure that uh, he's done his part uh, to make everything that he's brought to our family possible. Uh, I also want to give a quick shout out because we were able to, this is the second time the Colorado Insight panel came together this week. Just earlier this week, we were with the Governor's Fellowship Program, all the different folks that joined us there. It was great to be a part of that and exciting to see these uh, already current leaders who are about to probably do a whole lot more. I also want to give a great shout out as uh, we're continuing the expansion, the, the big reach of Colorado Insight out. Uh, we are on a variety of different channel leads throughout the metro area, but we are also on audio, not only on podcasts, if you prefer to get this content that way, but we're also on content, uh, also on audio with our friends at KVNF, Mountain Grown Community Radio out in Montrose, Colorado, throughout the southern part of the western slope. I know they appreciate all the different mentions of the rural uh, areas here in Colorado and probably uh, enjoying, at least hopefully to enjoy sometime in the future, the infrastructure bill in that part of the state. So we're happy to be part of that every Monday night at 6 p.m. And uh, check your local Channel 8 uh, schedule. We are on a variety of cities uh, throughout the entire state. So uh, we're happy to be there. Thank you for making that possible. For everybody here at Colorado Inside Out and PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. We were, we were running late and then we ran early. <laughs>